If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Mark chapter 12. I encourage you, if you have a one in front of you or a, a written one or something like that, just to be going through. I know it's on the screen, a lot of it, but something about going through, whether it's a Kindle or whether it's just a, you know, something like this. I mean, I might have to explain it to some of the younger people. It's just really cool to be able to navigate the scripture with you. It's like Todd said about having notes next door. I just want to open up in prayer and um, just ask that God would speak to us. Lord, thank you for the testimony. Lord, I thank you for those who went outside their comfort zone to go out into the community. Lord, uh, thank you for Tim's leadership. Lord, I pray that this would become a, um, that we build our relationships with one another and with our community. Lord, I pray that we can be a blessing to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am going to hit you with a word here in a minute, and we're going to put it on screen in a, in a second, that is very confrontational. And I, it's going to be odd that I'm going to tell you, I want you to remember this message with the word I'm going to show you. And that word is Monsanto. Yeah, I bet you never would have picked that one up, huh? Why am I, why would I have Monsanto? People are losing their minds right now in the audience. I can just see it just going in. Uh, it has been a topic of uh, conversations at home, conversations at work, internet conversations, all this stuff about what is put on our food and how it affects us. Now, I am not going to do a small dissertation on Monsanto for you, but I want you, it's the word I want to throw at to you, and I want you to be bouncing in your head, why did I say Monsanto based on this message? Are you all shocked already, right? So when you go somewhere tomorrow and someone asks you, um, what was the message about, and you just go, Monsanto, and they're going to go, you have a strange church. Um, but we are what we eat, Amen? Spiritually, we are what we eat. And emotionally, we are what our environment makes us. All these things have an effect on us. And so Jesus uses this um, metaphor of a garden or of a, a grape, a place of grapevines throughout a lot of his parables and stuff to teach a story, and he uses the Old Testament to bring it up. So we're going to have three points here. They're going to be up here. Uh, the first one is the crop. We're going to talk about the crop. Second, we're going to talk about the crime. And third, the cost. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. Now, um, before we've talked about some parables are something that only Jesus' followers would understand. Mark often uh, referred to parables it's a, in a way to speak about God that required more than just an intellectual response. So when he is going through this parable, the answer is pretty clear to anybody, but intellectually you have to process it. It must produce either faith or unbelief. So Jesus, when he's talking in his story, it's going to either produce faith or unbelief. Um, 
So part of the crop, when it says here, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and he built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. So you've got this crop that he's building. The fence was there to keep animals out and to keep other humans out, you know, people invading the, the, the area of the vineyard. The pits were where they would take the grapes and they would place them in a pit and they would create juice, you know, and the juice would go down into vats. And so they dug those pits for that. And the tower was a place of security, a place where it puts you above that so someone could guard the entryway from animals and or people. So the tower was for protection. Verse two, when the season came, that is the season for production to start, harvest season, He sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. So the season came. So let's go into the original garden. In the beginning, there was the Garden of Eden. Everything was right. God produced everything. There wasn't any need for anything, um, work to be done. Things just produced. There weren't briars. There wasn't sweat that we were aware of. There was just fruit, except for do not eat of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, uh, you know, we all know Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and then there was separation from God. God looked out, where are you, Adam? And he hid himself sort of trying to hide himself from God. And later we learn that the Israelites, they went out and they, all of a sudden they were captured by the Egyptians. The Egyptians put them to work. They were under uh, slavery. Moses came in, freed them from slavery, took them across into the land uh, where Joshua ended up taking them into the land of Canaan, the land that flows with milk and honey. And there they abode for a season. And in that season, all they had to do was remember a simple thing. Follow after the Lord's ways. Follow after his commandments. Trust in him. Just obey him. Do not have any other gods before you. Do not have idols in front of you. How did the Israelites do with that? Not so good, right? They had a problem. And so then what happened is, and we're going to see this in a minute as we read in Isaiah, we see that God gave them over to their way, and they, and the, and they were taken over by, the, by Babylon, and they were taken captive. So in Deuteronomy 32, I want you to understand what the vineyard is, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So in, in this verse we're going to read here in a moment in Isaiah, it's going to be that the vineyard was God's chosen people and Jacob's heritage is Isaiah 5.1. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. It's intriguing that in the early Jewish tradition that the tower and the wine press were scenes of the figures of the temple and the altar in the temple. So the owner was coming back, to look for good grapes, and it found bad grapes. 
Verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, O men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Remember what the vineyard, vineyard is. It's God's people. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? The, the original word for wild grapes is not like just some grape that you see inside in the wild. It literally was a dying grape, something that had, you ever had a grape in the refrigerator too long and it doesn't have its consistency anymore? You just pick them up and chew on them, right? They're really good. Right, no, you, know, you just get rid of that stuff. And you, if you have one or two of them before long, they just, it, it just takes care of the whole thing. What more was there to do? Why did it yield wild grapes? Verse 5, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. Remember, this is the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus' time. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. Now, you ever had the people praying for that massive hedge of protection? You know, that is like the key word in some Christian cliche. I pray for a hedge of protection. Well, in the Old Testament, you see here that God had provided a hedge for his vineyard. He had provided protection, and he said, I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, the wall of protection from the animals and the people coming in, and it shall be what? Trampled down. Verse six, I will make it a waste. It shall be pruned. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. There's the vineyard. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So I don't have time to just like unpack all of this. The house of Judah or the men of Judah what tribe does Jesus come from? The tribe of Judah. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So we, we talked about a crop. It was a bad crop. It produced bad grapes. And God, I will say, removed protection from it, and they were taken over by Babylon and, and were taken captive. Next, we're going to see the crime, verse 3. So we're back to the original story. So remember, he began to speak a parable. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit, et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then they took him. They sent someone in. I'm sorry, verse 2. When the season came, he sent his servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So imagine you own a piece of property over in Frederick. And you're, you're, you're leasing the land out for someone to grow, and they're going to grow, and they get a percentage of it, and you get a percentage of the take. It all works out. But you send someone to go pick up the cash or pick up the produce, and they get beaten up and sending, sent away empty-handed. Everyone going to be cool with that, right? Probably not. Verse 4, and he sent them to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. 
In Matthew 23, verse 34, it says, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. And the Old Testament is replenished of prophets going out, Moses and Samuel and Elijah and Elisha going out and sharing and giving the warning and giving the warning and giving the warning and giving the warning. And each time the warning was met, the prophets weren't looked as good people. They weren't looked as people. It's like, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you got to say. They didn't like what they were going to say. And they shut them down. Verse 6, and he still... He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. If you haven't figured it out yet, in the Old Testament in Isaiah, the vineyard was, uh, that was, was going to be destroyed was God's chosen people. In this parable, Jesus is going to destroy, or excuse me, the, God is going to send out a message to destroy the, the uh, leaders of the synagogues. He's going to take away their power. So the judgment in the first in the Old Testament was on the vineyard. This time it's on the people, the tenants taking care of the vineyard. And humanity, if humanity can disperse with God, it says, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Essentially, it's like going, let us kill God and we'll take the inheritance. What the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders of the synagogue were saying, we don't need God. We've got control and power. Let's us exert it. We don't want anyone to come in and take it. We're going to take him out, and we are going to control things. It's no different than humanity has done. I think it was Time Magazine in the early 70s that put out there, God is dead. You know, and, and it was a stark presence or stark communication but we see this all the time in humanity desire to dispense with God the whole idea is that if you dispense with God you become what God if God is not real then I become my own God I become the controller of my own destiny I am under no authority but my own and what I think is right and from that, we see all kinds of, in the religious world, all kinds of horrific things happen when someone gets that out of line. I would say that the sum total of human history is an attempt to rid God from the universe, or essentially rid the universe from God. Verse 8, it says, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard which you have to view now in a sense that inside of Jerusalem, they took Jesus outside of Jerusalem and killed him where they crucified him on the cross. Self, our own thoughts, our own control, our own efforts, it is, it, it is 
inside of us, it, it, it drives the rejection of Jesus. Right here in this world, we said in this room, we, we worship, and at the same time, we're distracted by so many things. Our fears and our doubts come in, and we are just like the Israelites, and these stuff come in, and it's so easy, and, and inside of us lies this, and it's saying, no, I don't want to be controlled. But when you have trusted, and you know that Jesus is good, and you tend to the crops well. God will produce a fr- fruit, but here we're going to see the cost. Verse 9 says, What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Jesus Christ was God's ultimatum. I sent the prophets. I sent all these things. I did all this work. I sent them all. Now I send my what kind of son? My beloved son. And I'm sending him, and he is going to be the ultimatum. And I will say that the end result is that nothing remains when Christ is refused. Nothing remains when Christ is refused. So ultimately, this story, the cost would be the temple. In 70 AD, when Nero was in charge, the temple was destroyed, and the vineyard was given to others. This, if you go back into the past couple weeks, the Gentiles were outside of the temple, in part of the temple, but in the outside part of it. And we talked about how Jesus is dying when the temple was destroyed or when Jesus died on the cross, it opened up to everyone, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, all are one under Christ. They either reject him and are are apart from Christ or they accept him and they're unified in Christ. There's no one Christian greater than one another here in this room today. We are all equal under Christ. So he came and he destroyed. Again, Jesus is God's ultimatum. Nothing remains when Christ is refused. Verse 10, very familiar passage. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. They they got it. So they left him and went away. So what's the cost? I'm going to deviate a little now, so I'm going to contextualize this for us today. So the main, the main parable is that God had a vineyard, and the vineyard was, all to, was God's chosen people. They failed to do what they could not do. They failed to follow after God. They chose idols. God took that away. He gave them uh, priests, and he gave them Pharisees, he gave them leaders, in order to care for the vineyard, they failed to do the work, and it was destroyed. The beloved son came to do what man could not do. He came so that the vineyard would be healthy. But what is the cost for us today of an unhealthy vineyard? What is the cost for us? I would say unfruitfulness is one of the greatest costs of an unhealthy vineyard. I've been listening to a lot of Winston Churchill uh, 
lately in my audible reading, and there was this one part where he says, you know, England will never surrender. They will never go, you know, it's just like never, never, never go away from Germany. And it gave FDR, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the belief that England was going to do something, hold their ground, and he gave them some armor and some ships and all this stuff to help them. But it was because of the positive message. But I just go, in your family, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your parenting, is there good fruit? In your devotion with the Lord, is there good fruit? In your workplace, is there good fruit? Or is there unfruitfulness there? Is there, if when Jesus comes back and he's coming back someday, this, this continues to happen. We have been given Jesus, we've been given his Holy Spirit to be fruitful, to produce good fruit. And he's going to come back today, someday and he's going to say, what has been produced He's going to see if there's a portion for him. If you are being unfruitful, you are surrendering to the enemy. You are giving up. You have not counted the cost. Maybe you have and you said, it's not worth it for me. Maybe you want to be your own God. You want to go your own way. And I just say, I believe that this heart of this church, I believe, I really do believe that our desire is to be fruitful. Would you say amen to that? We want to be fruitful. We want to grow. We want to produce good fruit, that the Lord would produce good fruit in us. But it takes work. Let's go back to Monsanto. What's the easy way to take care of weeds in a garden? (laughs) I don't even want to know. Right? Who wants to get down on their knees? I don't because I wouldn't get back up. Who, who wants to get down on their knees and pull all the weeds off and, and find healthy ways for the bugs and, and, or pull them off and, and find good plants to counteract the bad plants to counteract this and counteract that when all you got to do is pour a little of this and this and, and put a little between your cheek and gum and, 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 and squirt it up and go and yeah, I really thought of putting water in one of those jugs and saying it had Roundup and just... Would y'all have liked that? <laughs> but I was joking. It's all right. No, I wouldn't have done that. I counted the cost. Uh, but if our way of discipleship and our way of Christianity is toxic... If our workplace becomes toxic, if our homes become toxic, if we fail to deal with the issues and get on our hands and knees and pick off the bugs and pull the weeds out and from the root, then we have unfruitfulness. And the way that typically a church has addressed this is the roundup method. Quick and easy. Doesn't involve work. It doesn't involve sacrifice. It doesn't involve surrender. It's come in, go out, feel good about yourself, continue on, come back, spray some Roundup, go out, come back, spray some Roundup, go out. But the Christian walk is about letting Jesus do work in your garden and being obedient to that. It's about surrender. 
It's about sacrifice. It's about getting your head wet walking down the street because it's raining this morning. It's about uh, being faithful and fruitful. But also, unfruitfulness in all of us, but this parable really shows a warning about unfruitfulness, or should I say it in a better way, failed leadership, toxic leadership in the church. American church, I'll just leave it at that, has had an epidemic of leaders who failed to be servants and stewards and sought to be owners and lords. The Christian walk is that everything I am, I am a servant of Christ. And what happens when a man or woman transfers from being a servant and a steward to an owner and a Lord, it begins, we begin to dig our claws of control in and we go, I am that good and powerful. I'm going to control this. And it becomes this. It becomes about the leader, not about Jesus Christ. It can happen in your business. It can happen in your home. Whenever we have toxic leadership, there is unfruitfulness in the garden. This parable echoes the same theme of providence that we see in the seed and the sower. So um, what I mean by that is that it says in verse 11, this was the Lord's doing, it was marvelous in our eyes. Despite famine, despite slavery, despite uh, abuse, despite murder, despite all these horrific things, God is still sovereignly and playing in our lives. So no matter how dark it gets to you, it feels for you right now that God is sovereign. I'm sure it seemed rough for those disciples, and it got rough in the picture. What's the hope here in the garden? Obedience to him is happiness for ourselves. Maybe even be said, be better said to be joy for ourselves. Too often it's like, well, man, you know, I really don't want to hear surrender and sacrifice. That sort of stinks, right? No one gets all excited about that. You're going to suffer for Jesus, amen? You know, people don't shout out, woo, do the dance. But I can say this, in the way God works, obedience to the king, obedience to King Jesus means joy and delight that he will bring to you and your family if you follow after his ways. When the garden is healthy, the gardener is healthy, and the owner is healthy, and everyone is healthy. What you eat spiritually will determine your healthiness. Your transparency to other people about your deepest problems. Your level of willingness to find that one or two people that you can share your biggest bug that's hidden under the leaf will give evidence to how serious you are to produce good fruit. Spraying Roundup does not take care 
of the problem. When we eat healthy, we become healthy. What did Jesus do? He lived in such a way and he died in a way that gave us eternal life. It gave us peace with God. It justified us that we stand before God no more ashamed. Our past is just that. It's as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removes our transgressions from us. Our past is the past. Our shame has been forgiven. We, we are no longer to walk there anymore. We walk obediently with God, and all of a sudden, out of no doing on our own except for being obedient, fruit begins to produce, and we find joy in it. Folks, this morning, would you make your mark like Jesus did? As, let's stand as we pray, please.